The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 23, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. So the faith was on the part of his parents. Because um, they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. By the way, could he, could he see the riches of Christ? No, they were intangible. Could he see the riches of Egypt, the treasure? Was he around the palace? Absolutely he was. And he esteemed them greater. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians assigned to do, were drowned. And then it goes on into the faith that Joshua, in turn, led, uh, led by as he led them into the Promised Land and to Jericho. Let's ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning to open up your word and we pray that you would encourage our faith that is our prayer this morning and i ask that anyone that does not yet know you as savior would receive you by faith today we pray in jesus name amen and you may be seated before i go any further this morning i, I just i feel like it'd be necessary to say this the other thing that 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 the lord was doing this past week i know in in, in our family uh our little daughter sierra um prayed to receive christ this week she's just turned four but God was working in her heart. I had actually, I would put her down for a nap here, and she was scared of the, of the dark, which wasn't dark. It was pretty much, you know, the, the sun coming through the blinds in, in a room. And uh, so it wasn't really dark, but something was troubling her. And, and I prayed with her, as often we do, and I, I prayed with her and just asked the Lord to help her to, uh, to be calm. And then I also prayed, Lord, would you, would you help her to come to know you as Savior? It's, it's often a prayer. I'm sure you do for your, your children as well that don't know the Lord. And so a little later, I was running some errands, and my wife, uh, my wife texts me or calls me on FaceTime and says, hey, we have something to say to you because she was crying again. She went in there and, and was dealing with her, and, and she was very ready and very keyed in to uh, her need. And we talk about being a sinner and our need for Jesus Christ often around our home. And so that, that's a very special thing. Now, there's a lot of growth that has to happen. The, 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 the journey of discipleship is very long, right? You understand that. But uh, Brother Andy, I was talking with Brother Andy, and, and uh, their son, Toby, made a profession this week. Brother Andy said something to me um, and the last night as we were cleaning up from in here, which thank you all that stayed around and helped clean up. But Brother Andy said this, uh, it must have been all the preaching of the word this week, right? And the teaching and all that. You know that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. God's word changes lives. It changes lives. And God promised to bless the preaching of the word. You know what this tells me? That our littlest ones are listening. Our littlest ones are listening. When you gather them here on a Sunday morning, when you gather them here on a Sunday night or Wednesday night, and you encourage them to listen like they did. I mean, we had four- and five-year-olds sitting over here throughout the, every evening listening to preaching. And that last night, there was very little, very little struggle in keeping their attention. They were, they were listening. They were right along. You know what, parents? Let's not let the world tell us that the kids can't listen to preaching. It changes lives. And so I'm so grateful for what God's doing in, in different families within our church. That just, I mean, that's a huge blessing. God is working in hearts. And do you wonder why the battle's so intense? Do you wonder why you feel the way you do? Do you wonder why there's a struggle? There's always going to be a struggle when we're going forward for Christ. And if there is no struggle, then we're not probably going in the right direction. And so I, I assure you today that the Lord is, is working. I've seen him working, and I assure you that if we'll keep going by faith, the Lord's going to help us. Um, he promises to bless faith, doesn't he? 
So I want us to think about Moses for a moment here this morning. Um, Moses is a central Bible figure, isn't he? Right? I mean, everyone knows Moses right along with Jesus Christ. Everyone knows who Moses is. And uh, there's great respect for Moses. Have you ever wondered where Moses, as he led two million, I was talking to Brother Snyder, two million plus people through the wilderness, have you ever wondered where he got the, the faith to lead and go up to the Red Sea and put out his rod and say, and, and stand there and be an instrument of God to see that miracle, the Red Sea just splitting, uh, splitting open and dry gra- ground appearing for them to walk through? Have you ever wondered where he got the faith to stand before the world leader of that day and say, let my people go, and I'm here for God? I mean, this guy had the, the right and the authority, the, the prerogative to literally cut his head off and to destroy Moses, but he didn't. And have you ever wondered where he got the faith to do that? What is amazing to me is we get a sneak peek backward into Moses' life in Hebrews 11. I believe that we see that that faith was a generational thing, that that faith was received early on in Moses' life from his mother, and, and it was lived out in his life. And God allows us to see one verse that's devoted to his parents, and then about six verses that are devoted to the faith that, that Moses lived out in his own life. And that's an amazing thing. So listen, every single one of us today, as we think about faithful families living lives full of faith toward God, every single one of us has the opportunity, whether you have little children at home like we were just talking about, whether your children are grown and have their own families, or your children are away from the Lord, every every single one of us have the opportunity to live faithful lives towards God, to make faithful decisions for God today and to make steps of faith that would honor God, and you, you cannot imagine how God will bless that. You cannot imagine what God will do with the impact of that. Listen, I've seen in, in, in my time in ministry, short time in ministry, I've seen people who in their later years turn back to God, and it impacts others all the way around them. They get on fire for God, and though they've spent many years cold towards God, it made a huge difference in those that were around them and those that they influenced. And it influenced their family. Listen, your family's not too far gone. You might have someone that is a burden on your heart. Your family's uh, not too far gone. You say, well, I'm some of the reason my family is where they are today. Listen, you're not too far gone to make a, a, a step, a choice, a decision of faith, whatever God is putting out in front of you, to believe his word and to go forward by faith, not fearing the commandment of the king, and allow God to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think in your life. You're not beyond that. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is still hope going forward. And I believe the Bible always brings us to that place of hope. And so here's what I want us to see. I want us to understand where the context in which Moses and his family were living in and then see their decision of faith. We're going to do our very, very best to, to run through this. I realize we got started a little bit late. Everything was a little bit kind of uh, helter-skelter at the last minute, so I appreciate your, your being a flexible church and going along with this. We're going to work to get through this and, and, and communicate a point I think will be helpful to us. We can all walk away and really be blessed by it. And then I'd encourage, even at lunchtime, let's share with one another and encourage one another with how the Lord touched our hearts with these things, okay? So I want us to, first of all, just see that there was a godless culture in Egypt. You, uh, that's no shock to us, okay? But there was a very godless culture in Egypt. When we think about the godless culture in Egypt, it was reflected, first of all, in the many, many gods that they had in their worship. They had over 1,500 gods that, they, that are known, that are named in the land of Egypt. Think about that, 1,500 gods. When I visited is, um, India, there are many, many gods there. There are many sacred things to them there. But Egypt is known through history to have 1,500 gods that, that they worshipped and that they named and that they under, understood. Many of the gods uh, incorporated animal forms, so they, they, they made gods out of many of the animals and so we even look at how god used the the plagues and brought plagues upon the the land of egypt many of them dealing with animals many of those many of those animals were animals or insects that that the nation of egypt worshiped as their gods and what was accentuated there was that god had greater power the god of moses the god of israel was was absolutely infinite in his power and they were powerless 
I love in the book of Exodus when we find that the, the magicians that were, uh, that were employed in Pharaoh's court would come and they would try to repeat the same uh, plagues that, that, that Moses did by the power of God. They tried to do by magic. And they got to a point in the plagues where they literally told Pharaoh, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. That's an amazing thing. And they came to a realization right in the courtroom of Pharaoh that this is beyond us, but that's what God was working. So there was, uh, there was a godless culture that was reflected in what they worshipped. The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse number 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. Now doesn't that, doesn't that describe the day in which we are? Now, animals are fun. We have more, and we even got more through Adventure Camp. Friday of Adventure Camp, my wife came to me and said, Honey, I need to go buy mice. Actually, she said a rat. And I said, Honey, I am saying no on the inside and yes on the outside. That's what I was saying. And she went and got these things, and our kids have really enjoyed them. We have two little mice that have graced our home. The cat in our home is lurking beside the cage thinking about this, uh, you know, you know what, how am I going to get inside this cage? We have, we have enemies right within the home. But we, we grew. Animals are nice. They have their place and, and so forth. They're creation of God, but they're not to be worshipped. We are not on the same ground as animals. We were created in the image of God. We have an eternal soul. They do not. But animals are the creation of God. But they were never intended to be elevated above God. But what did it, um, uh, Egypt do? They did. They elevated and worshipped the creature more than the creator. And Romans finishes off that the creator who is blessed forever and amen. Amen. So be it. He is blessed forever. That's never changing. There will never be a time where God is demoted and where animals are uh, promoted above him. And so they had many gods, but they did not know the one true God. Just realize when Moses would come before him and say, I am sent me. They, they didn't have an understanding. Who is the Lord is what Pharaoh said. They didn't under, understand who God was. And the Bible tells us that they had many, many gods, but they did not know God. And even when Joseph passed off the scene, the representation that Joseph was, the, the witness that Joseph was in the land of Egypt, uh, there was a spiritual vacuum that was left, um, left after his death. There rose a king that knew not Joseph. Now, as we think about this, we live in a world that has many gods that they worship. It's just not as out in the open. But America has so very many gods. And many of them are tangible. There are things that we create. The God of our iPhone. The God of our, of our materialism, where we have to have in order to say, this is what I need in order to be comfortable. Now, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. It's not wrong to have a phone. It's not wrong to have technology. It's not wrong. But you, I think you'd all agree with me. There is an, an idolatry that has gotten around technology, entertainment, sports, all these things. In proper place, all things God has given us richly to enjoy, but he is God alone. So the Bible tells us in Colossians 2 and verse number 8 that we are to beware, that we are to be on guard lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What are the rudiments of the world? The basic teachings, the basic doctrine of the world. And so what is he saying? Beware lest you be spoiled, lest you be controlled by it. Lest you be taken in by it, lest you be grabbed a hold of it, lest your heart be taken in by these things. And friends, we need to beware. Our families, dads, we need to beware of those things that could grab a hold of the hearts of our, our children. You know what's interesting to me? Even the creators of the iPhone, Mr. Steve Jobs, would not allow his children to have iPhones. Did you know that? Why? He knew the addictive power of it. He knew. He wanted something more on quality for his family than he was giving to the rest of the world. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? So friends, I just understand that there are many gods out in front of us and maybe some gods are coming to your mind as you think of it. The, the God of, of uh, popularity. I mean, we are, we are crazy about those who are, those who are uh, playing basketball. And uh, it's amazing how society is swayed by their opinion as if their opinion really counts just because they bounce a ball on a court. You know what I'm saying? But it's amazing how our society is swayed. There are gods that, that, that live on courts. 
There are gods that live in um, very, very well-to-do houses out in Hollywood that create movies, and, and so these people are swooned over. Listen, this is the gods of our age, popularity, and so on. So God says, beware lest any man spoil you, control you through this. Our culture has many gods, but they do not know the one true God. You do. You do. Don't you? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we must follow after him. So in Egypt, they were a godless culture because of who they, they worshipped. They didn't worship the one true God. They were committed to these different animal gods. But they also reflected this in what they exalted, or I should say who they exalted. In the time of, of Moses and in that, in that context, the Pharaoh was accepted to be divine. So they didn't just have the gods that they worshipped that were, were animals and so forth, or the creation of animals, or the mix of man and animals. They, they also worshipped and, and, uh, and elevated the Pharaoh as God. Once Egypt emerged as a nation, one man said, additional concepts of, uh, such as the belief in a divine king developed. Nowhere else in, uh, in the ancient Near East was the connection between kingship and the gods as strong. So Egypt was leading out in this. And so as we think about that, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or a Caesar, a Nero, or a Stalin, or a Kim Jong-un, or the general humanism that's going on in this day, when man is left to himself, they always elevate a man to the place of God. And that's exactly what humanism is in our day. It is elevating man to the level of God. Life revolves around you, not God. And friends, do you realize that seeps into churches just like ours? That, that humanistic mentality, it's prevalent everywhere. Why are we living in such an easily offended generation? Because everyone thinks they are a god to themselves. You've offended me. Everything revolves around me, don't you know? You need to worship me by respecting me, and, and you, need to, you need to pay homage to me. Everything is about me. Friends, we must resist this because God said, beware, beware, lest any man spoil you through the philosophies. The philosophies of this world are very, very deadly, and they can take us away from the will of God. And so we are to be beware. And so no matter what age it's in, man will always elevate man, kings, leaders, and we have that even in our, in our country. And you know what? On both sides we have that in our country. You know, there's some conservatives that elevate, elevate political leaders to the level of God, like, like God is bound to a conservative being in the White House. I like a conservative being in the White House. I, I really do. And I think we ought to work for that. But do you understand? Do you understand that God is not bound by that? And that person is not God. They're not our Savior. We are still on the winning side today just as much as we were three years ago. Do you understand? It's a different perspective. We have to walk in perspective. We cannot be controlled by this. And I don't, I don't believe that God causes us just to be, to be passive. You understand? I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, but what I am saying, we are on the winning side. He is still the king of all kings. The Bible tells us that in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9, wherefore God hath highly, also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in earth and things in, uh, and things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is, what? Lord to the glory of, of God the Father. And just understand that he is king of kings, and that's his position. That's what Revelation tells us. He is king of kings, and he is lord of lords. Nothing's going to change that. But in Egypt, they were exalting the Pharaoh above God. They did not know God. They exalted and worshiped the Pharaoh. So that's a cultural context of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 23. That's what Moses is born into, is a, 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 a land that is full of many gods. Who do I worship today? Constantly on, on edge, on, on uh, am I accepted of the gods? And, and also this concept that the king is God. And so uh, when the king gave a commandment, it was a big, big deal. Very big deal. And we notice that in chapter 11 of Hebrews, in verse 23, we notice the king did give a commandment. There was a genocidal command, which was amazing. Remember, now there's arisen a king that knows not Joseph, so there isn't an attachment. There's no emotional attachment to uh, Joseph getting him through the, the famine. 
There's no emotional attachment. There's no, there's no realization publicly on, the, on, a, on, on the, the political stage of Egypt that there's a man who knew God and was used to God to rescue Egypt and the, and the world from a famine. There's no realization of that. We are now in a new era. And it seems there's no one in a high place to, to advocate for the right things. And so here's this king who knew not God, and he now looks at this people that is growing by leaps and bounds every single year, and he says, listen, if we let this people, Israel, these Hebrews go, they're going to overtake us in size, and they're going to, um, they're going to, they're going to run us out of our own land. And so he looks at this situation, he says, well, the best thing to do is kill all the boys. Kill all the boys. What was this? This was an act. This was a call. This was a command for genocide. You understand, all the boys are gone. At some point, this is going to affect the generation of Israel in, in the future. And so every newborn boy was to be killed. And that was the command. Notice Exodus 1 and verse number 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives. Notice who he comes to first. He gives this command to God's people, of which the name of the one was Shifra. And the, uh, the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the office of the midwives to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. And if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Now think about this. I don't know if this is the very first mention, but this is what abortion is. And notice the word that God uses there. It does not use abort. It, it is to kill. And friends, we cannot be uh, spoiled. We cannot be spoiled with the philosophies of this world to, to lessen the reality of sin. And people often use, well, what if it's a rape victim? And, you know, two wrongs do not make a right. They never do in God's economy. Murder is always murder. Even in our highest offices of our land, they're not, they're not sure that a 15-week uh, baby in, in its mother's womb is actually a baby, is actually a human. We don't know what species it is. They don't know up there what species it is. They're not sure that it's actually a human. Friends, when we walk away from God's word, we lose all, we lose all common sense. So if it's born a human, it probably was a human before it was born. So this is what's going on here. Abortion is nothing new. And it's also a, a high sign of a society that has walked away from God. It is child sacrifice of the worst, of the worst sort. And friends, I say this every single time, so don't, don't misunderstand. If you've had an abortion, there is forgiveness with God, and God's people said, amen. But you cannot go forward and deny that it was sin. You will find no healing and no peace in your life if you do not come to grips with the fact that it was sin, and yes, God forgives sin. So confess it and forsake it. And then help someone else not get it. Make the mission of your life to help people who were in the same exact place to not make the same decision you did. But God always forgives if we come to him and confess it and forsake it. And so I, I say that to you this morning. That's so very, very important that we understand this is what the Pharaoh was commanding. By the way, this is what our culture is commanding. How many times? I have a good friend that, that, uh, that was born. Um, I, I grew up with him. He was born, to, uh, and they had gotten pregnant later in, in life. And so the doctor literally says, if, if you have this, this is going to be a health risk to you. I suggest, this is back in 1986, I suggest you have an abortion. How many of you have been suggested uh, by a doctor to have an abortion? Anyone in here? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm, I'm asking if, if, if there's been a doctor that's come along. So this, this, this pastor's wife was suggested, hey, you should, just, you should just go ahead and end this pregnancy. Isn't it amazing how many times doctors put themselves in the place of God? And so here it is. It's oftentimes crushed down upon, upon the culture by, by those that are in command. It's wrong. But here's the king saying to the Hebrew women, I want you to kill the baby when it comes out. That's awful. That's detestable. It's wicked. It's godless. And you know what the next verse says? That these women, verse 17, 
the mid, uh, midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men child alive. And to that we all say, amen. God give us faith like these midwives. That's the type of faith we need to stand in this day. No matter what the world tells us, no matter what those in high authority tell us, we will do right by God. We will always obey the word of God. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in every evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. So when we fear God, we hate evil. And we must fear him more than we fear those that are in command. And so the fear of the Lord will always lead us to hate evil, and we must have that same heart that these midwives had. But notice what the king did when he found that he couldn't get them to do what he wanted them to do. He turns to all his people, and it says this in Exodus 1 and verse 22, then Pharaoh charged all his people. Okay, I have a public service announcement. I can't get these Hebrews or these God followers to kill their children. So here's what I'm going to do. I need to employ all the people of Egypt. I need to employ all of you, my soldiers, all of you people, to help me carry out this, this genocidal command against these Hebrews. You talk about the pressure in that day. Think about the, the overwhelming cultural pressure. They're, they're motivated. Their king is God. And he is now saying to them, I need your help with this. You talk about marked people. Every pregnant woman in Egypt, every pregnant Hebrew woman in Egypt was a marked person. This was not a popular day to be a follower of God and to fear God. I find it interesting that God had chosen, Genesis 12 and verse number 3, these people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, to be the vessel through which he would bring the light to the nations and ultimately bring the Messiah to the nations. And through Israel, every family in, in, in the world would be blessed. So do you think Satan is seeking a way to destroy that line, to destroy this nation, to subvert this nation? Absolutely. And he does the same exact thing to us. This scenario was repeated again under Herod when Jesus was born. Oh, there's a king? We can't have that happen? So every child in Bethlehem, two years and younger, needs to be killed. Think about that. Satan is ruthless. We talked about that last week, but Satan is murderous and ruthless. He cares not for life. He does not care uh, uh, to take life away. And as in history, so today, Satan seeks to destroy generations that God will use to impact the world for his purposes. And here's the thing. Many times, Satan will, will seek to use death. And think about how many, how, many, uh, how many children, even in our own nation, of the millions of children over the, uh, since the 1970s that have been aborted and have been killed. Think about those that might have been used for the glory of God and to shake this nation, uh, this world for God. It's astounding when you think of all those that have been aborted. Think about that. But you know, Satan does not just use death. Sometimes he uses vain, empty living to destroy a generation. And I think if we are looking at a generation that is, that is aimless, purposeless, does not have direction, what are you going to do? Well, I'm 30, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Well, hold up. Uh, you realize that in five more years, about half of your uh, life will have already been spent and you still don't know what to do. Well, as long as I have my video games in the basement, in my mom's basement. Well, that's, that's not far-fetched, friends. We are, we are dealing with a generation. Ch uh, childhood is, is expanding. We don't expect a teenager to go to work and to, to contribute. We don't expect them by the time they come out of the college. Well, you, you, ha you have some time here. Friends, the world is expanding the definition of child, even knowing, uh, uh, how long they're dependent on their parents. And we are living in a generation that maybe Satan is, in, uh, it, it, he is, he is destroying by death. The abortion is an amazing destroyer, and Satan is behind that. But also by the aimlessness that we see, the vain and empty living. Right now, 60% of millennials, this, this statistic just came out, are earning over $100,000, say they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're called Henry's. High earners, not rich yet. They typically fall victim to lifestyle creep 
It's when one increases their standard of living to match their rise in discretionary income so they prefer a comfortable and often expensive lifestyle that leaves them living paycheck to paycheck, aimless, directionless. It's amazing. You think about what the, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians. You can turn there if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 11. It tells us for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 13. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And you know what? One of the ways that Satan distracts us and, and basically decimates a generation is vain and empty living, or could we say wood, hay, stubble living. Living that amounts to nothing in eternity. Django, you, you, you start pulling out, and immediately, you know, at some point, that whole thing comes collapsing down. Imagine when we, you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He puts all of our works on the altar before him. He looks at that with his eyes that are like a flame of fire. And he judges every single work of mine and yours as to whether it was done for him in light of eternity by the, by the Spirit's power, motivated by him, who is the foundation of our lives. He is our salvation. Everything starts with him. And so he, he judges our works. He looks at our works. And the works that were not done for eternity, they were frivolous. They were just, they were just purely temporal living. He says in an instant, they're going to be burned up. They're not going to last. Think about this. Ask yourself this question. How much in the past week, I need to ask myself this question too, how much in the past week, the past month, have I been engaged in temporal living that affects nothing in eternity? That really doesn't matter. Now, we balance this with God has given us all things richly to enjoy. He created all things and he blesses his people. But it's when our hearts get enamored with that and go after that and make that the priority. We make our, our career the priority. We make our house the priority. We make our cars the priority we make our whatever here it is that god has given us as a blessing the priority and we begin to worship it and follow after that and orient our lives around that and we begin to live for that rather than living for god in eternity that is going to burn up friends I i'm thankful for a house we we lost power over uh the last uh 24 hours or whatever i'm thankful for a generator god gave me that thing and i enjoyed it richly I'm serious. I, I, I did. I, I enjoyed yesterday having a hot shower because of a generator that God provided for me. Amen. I thank God for the, the air that was running in our house this morning uh, because the power was running. I, I'm thankful for that. God's given those things, but I cannot orient my life around it, and neither can you. We cannot orient our lives around those things. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us. He will do the adding. We must stay focused on him. And so what happens in our lives, yes, he, Satan seeks to destroy a generation or annihilate a generation through death, but he also does it by vain and empty living, pursuing the things of this life. What is out in front of you? What has become a pursuit in your life that is not eternally beneficial, does not impact eternity? And I urge you, before you get to the judgment seat of Christ, change your focus. None of us want to stand before our Lord who died for us and gave his life for us and watch a whole segment of our life just... None of us do. That is reality. We are facing, if Jesus is coming soon, we are facing, we could be at the judgment seat of Christ before the end of the day. You say, what do I do about my past? You can't do anything about the past. Go forward. You can't. Stop going to the past. 
go forward. And so this wood, hay, stubble living, Satan might not be able to, uh, he can't take away your salvation, but he can certainly cause you to live on the foundation of Jesus Christ, completely meaningless lives. You see, Satan is a destroyer. And he was trying to destroy this generation. Oh, that we would, uh, we would choose by faith to put our focus in God and not allow him to, to rob us of what God wants us to do. And so here's the choice that's going down here. We have a godless culture. We have a genocidal command that is coming down in Egypt. This is the context in which Moses is living. And there is a decision that Moses' parents in particular need to make. And we find that they do this. Two choices. Only one's going to please God. Only one's going to please God. Remind ourselves of this verse, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Where's your heart today? Where's your faith? Is your faith full towards God? Is the decision that's out in front of you, is the scenario that's out in front of you, are you making the choice that honors God and is consistent with his word, and you have to make by faith, or are you following the flesh and saying, you know what, this is the easy route out. I'm gonna, boy, I'm not gonna be able to go that way because, boy, it's just not convenient. They had two choices to make. One would please God, and the one that took faith and required faith, which was they're gonna save their child, they're not gonna listen to the king's commandment, was the one that would honor God. Now think about this. They made a faithful choice, and it was a parental choice first. By faith, verse 23, Hebrews 11, when he was born, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They were not seized by fear. They were not gripped by fear. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 14, verse 26. It says, the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Let's say that all together. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Friends, sometimes the reason we lack courage in the midst of this day Sometimes the reason we lack courage at work is because we're fearing the culture more than the Lord. That is right where we live. We fear what they say about us. We get crushed into their mold, Romans 12 and verse number two. We get conformed. You gotta do it this way or you're going to be ostracized. You gotta think this way. You gotta talk this way. You gotta dress this way. You gotta act this way. You gotta prioritize this way or you're weird. Let's get past the fact whether we're peculiar or not, the Bible says we are called to be a peculiar people, a different people. Christianity requires separation. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Christianity has always required separation. Leaving the world, we are a church. We are called out assembly from the world to Jesus Christ. It is a separate thing, and that's what God is calling us to. And so here they were. They're not afraid of the king's commandment. Why? Because they fear the Lord. They were not afraid of the, uh, the king's commandment because they feared God more. God was bigger to them than the king and all the culture. That's a pretty amazing thing because this was the world power of the day. Their goal was pleasing God, not culture. Honestly, our church and every Bible-believing church in America is threatened by this. We have gotten our eyes on culture. Friends, you, you would not believe how many times I hear Christians that have been attending church for a very long time set aside the Bible and make their decisions off of culture. Dads, could I implore you? You are not setting your family up to follow God if you say, well, what does culture say? That is never the question. If you're going to be a faithful family, that is never the question. Imagine if Moses' parents had been a culture-driven family. Well, that's what the king says. God abort the baby. Think about how that God was going to use Moses to lead his people out of the, out of the bondage to Egypt. And we, we do it, but we don't kill the baby. We say, you know what? And I've, I've seen this happen before. I've seen, I've seen a young men who have been called to, to preach the gospel. And I've seen a parent come along and say, no, you really need to focus more on, making, on getting a career, getting established, getting a degree that would actually help you have a career. 
in case you have to fall out of ministry. Friends, that is exactly what is going on in churches like ours where we, we do not fear God, we fear culture. And so we will scoot our children to follow culture and wonder, why do they go away from God? Right now, in every one of our homes, a battle is being waged for our children. Satan is not messing around. I have five children. I was driving this, this, past, um, this past week, and I saw a, a, one of those window decals. I'm training, or I'm raising arrows, and I knew exactly what the person was saying from Psalm 127. Friends, we have lost sight. We want to raise good children, but not godly children. We've lost, we've lost sight. We've dumbed down. We've lessened our standard. We've lessened our desire. We've lessened our prayer list. If I can just have children that have a good career and are good moral people and will, will at least be decent in society, that's good enough. No, God gave you children to raise them for the Lord and for his purpose. And the, thing, the fact of the matter is we are so fearful of what the world says about how we ought to raise children that we have listened to the king's commandment and not feared God. I get so grieved when I see us as parents making choices to say, you know what, whatever the culture says, that's what we're going to be dictated by. No one's going to come out and say that verbatim like that. But it comes out in action. And friends, when we put our kids in sports programs and say, listen, you play here and, oh, you know what, this is going to get a little bit hard to get to church and be in Sunday school and um, be there and give our uh, devotion to God, friends, you mark it down. That is giving way to culture and not to God's word. And we will lose our children because we gave priority to something that saps the energy away from God. And I'm not all against sports. Sports have their place. You understand God's given us all things richly to enjoy. But I am trying to say God must be feared alone in our homes and our children must know that. When we orient around anything other than God in our homes, we are setting our homes up for failure. And when we orient around anything else in our church, we are setting our church up for failure. And at some point, our church will fail. And God will put Ichabod on our church. He did it in Revelation. You think that's, that, that's far-fetched? God has a way of snuffing out candles. We better make sure that God is the center of our church and Christ is preeminent in our church and that starts in our homes. And I need dads that will say, Pastor, I'm going to lead with you in that way. I'm going to lead my home to be centered. As God gives you grace to lead our church to be centered around Christ, I'm going to lead my home to be centered around Christ because otherwise we're failing. We must, we must by faith not fear the king's commandment. We must allow God to be bigger than every one of our problems. And here's the thing. Their decision to live by faith was blessed by God. Here's what we often think. We think, well, if I do that, I'm going to get in big trouble. Notice what happens. God legally protects Moses. Because in chapter 2, in verse number 8 and 9, this is what's amazing to me. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to Miriam, go, and the maid went and called the child's mother, and the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse it for me, and I will give thee wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and God legally put Moses into that home, and she had all right and was paid to do it. Mom say, I'm not paid to do what I do. She was. By Pharaoh. Do you see the significance of this? And we say, well, God can't come through. You, by faith, put your, uh, make the next decision and say, God, I need you to make a way. God will make a way in a way that you probably don't even believe is possible. He paid Jochebed to care and to teach Moses scriptural truths. That's amazing to me. The most formative years of a child's life are zero to five. Some say zero to three. Yeah, you know what our culture does? And sometimes we fall in the prey, just stick them in front of the TV. Curious George and all the other cartoons are not teaching them biblical lessons that we need to be teaching them. And I say that as a parent right in the midst of that. But friends, how we just saw this past week, children responding to the preaching of the word, yet sometimes we think, well, I can't bring them to church or else they'll act up. Listen, I'm okay with a little acting up. 
You do your best to keep your children in line. I'll do my best to keep my children in line. Teach them to respect God's house. Amen? Right? To be quiet when they should be quiet. But the thing we want is their hearts. But they can't get it if they're not here. And the world says, no, just put the TV in front of them, give them a phone, and keep them occupied. You know, and you know what? I don't have games on my phone. You know why? Because if I did, my kids would be constantly asking for it. They don't need this on Sunday. They need Jesus Christ. They need the Word of God. That is what's going to change their life and set them up for a course and a, a path of success in God's eyes. So these formative years, why is it important to teach your children at the earliest years, at the earliest years, zero to three, that life does not revolve around them? Because when they turn six, they're going to think life revolves around them and they're going to give us a run for the money. I'm having to work with one of my young children about lying. Oh, they don't know. Yes, they do. God said they come from the womb speaking lies. And if I let her get away with it at three, it's going to become a life pattern and she'll end up with all the other corrupt people that are leading over us. And liars get far in the world's economy don't they? People can boldface lie. Friends, they can understand. So why is it that, that God said of Timothy, from a child he knew the holy scriptures, which were able to make the wise and salvation. From an infant is the word child there. And yet we, we think, well, you know, I'll get to the real training once they can talk. No, you have the real training before they talk. It's why, as parents, for every, all five of our kids, we have set and scheduled them, and some people might disagree with me on this, but scheduled them that life does not orient around them. They have times, and we help them along. You say, that's so foreign, so against. And one day you'll find out, no, I, raised, I have five kids that we've done that with. Why? Because I wanted them to learn life did not revolve around you. And also helps us to know what is needed in those times. If, if, if they're at a certain point in the day and they're, they're, they're fussy and they're having the trouble, it helps me, uh, helps my wife particularly, let me just be honest, uh, it helps my wife particularly know what's going on. What is the need right now? But we teach them from the earliest age, life does not revolve around you. You obey mom and dad from the earliest age. I've dealt with it at six months, needing to obey. I've dealt with it at a year. It happens early. Why? Because sin is a part of them from birth. And if I don't start getting a handle on that early on, there's going to be problems. And so, here's the thing. Moses' mom had him, not when the world thinks is the most influential age, but Satan understands the influential age because he just teaches it all through cartoons. So watch the philosophies, not just the words, not just the music, but watch the philosophies behind the, um, behind the television programming. And you say, well, you know what, I'll just, I'm going to get off on the rabbit trail, but here, it's, it's legit and I think it's helpful. Some Christian parents think, I'll just get vidangel. Do you know something? You cannot vidangel out philosophy. Just because you take a bad word out of a movie, you cannot take a worldly philosophy out of a plot line. You know what? People have, struggle sometimes to come into a, a church and to hear an hour sermon, but have no problem listening hours and hours and hours on end of the world preaching to them right within their own homes in front of a 55-inch television screen. Now, I'm not against all television, but friends, we got a very dangerous thing sitting in most of our homes that is pumping worldly philosophy in. And the, the propensity is always, oh, I'm just so tired, let's just turn on something for them. Friends, we are giving the most influential years of their lives to the world and to their programming. So understand here, three to, uh, uh, zero to three, zero to five, being those most formative years, Jacobite had an awesome opportunity to set the course of Moses, and she did. She certainly did. 43% of those in America that are claimed to be born-again believers, 
said that they were saved before the age of 13. 43%, almost half. 64% said that they received Christ before the age of 18. Do you know how crucial these years? It's not, we don't wait until they get a little bit older. Why is Adventure Kids um, program so important? Why is what we did this past week so important? Because if we can get their hearts now, we can set them on a course for success in God's eyes later. Why is it important that on Friday night or Thursday night, I would challenge these kids, maybe God would call you to Africa. Because I want it in their hearts. We have not seen as a church, friends, let's just be real honest, we have not seen. We have one foreign missionary from our church on the field right now. For 37 years, we have not sent someone, a young person raised up in this church, out into a foreign mission field. I say we need to ask God and beg God that that would be different in the next generation. Why? Perhaps because the world got into our church and started in a very, very creepy way, got in and gave us a philosophy that, listen, you don't really need to, you don't really need to encourage them to, to follow God at this point. You know, they're just kids. Give them time to be kids and so forth. Friends, it's corrupted a generation that is focused on the here and the now. We have to see that change, and it's only going to happen as you as parents take steps of faith, like a Jacobed, like, no, we're not going to listen to the king's commandment. We're going to do what God says to do, and by faith we'll see God open up doors that we don't believe can be, we, we cannot imagine would be opened up. So she has a legal right now to raise his son in her home and teach him the ways of God while getting paid. God is good, and can I get an Amen but we have, to, we have to prove his goodness. We have to believe him through. It wouldn't be faith if God said, this is what I'm going to do for you, and uh, this is the benefit of believing me. It wouldn't be faith then. So he says, trust me. And so they did. And so here's what happens, friends. This is what I really want us to catch a hold of. Do you understand that their parental choice to be faithful in their decisions caused Moses to be faithful in his life? Here's what happens. Look Look at the verses. What Hebrews does for us is gives us decision after decision of faith that Moses did before God. Where did he learn this from? Sitting at his mom's knee, the age of two, the age of three, likely up to around that age before he was weaned, right? Just like any child today, before he went back to be with Moses or with Pharaoh's daughter. At that point, he was named Moses because she drew him out of the water. Moms, you have an incredible opportunity at a young age to impact a child and set them in a course that is going to be Godward and faithful. So notice here what happens. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Acts, this is really, really key. Acts 7 and verse 22, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the, the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. Do you know that when he got back to Pharaoh's house, they trained him, they schooled him in all the ways of Egypt? Oh no, it's going to be undone. No, 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 no. The most formative years of the life had already been passed. God got the most formative years of, of life around faithful parents. That's where he spent the most um, formative years of his life. And so when he got there, he heard all this. But look at verse number 24, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he came to years, when he had come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you know his first choice? You know what his very first choice was? Was this, I will not be identified with Pharaoh and his family. Well, that's a big deal. Because he was raised. He was fed at Pharaoh's table. He could probably go into Pharaoh's courtroom. There was, there was sonship there. And he says, I'm not going to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I am a Hebrew. I am a follower of God. I'm a part of this nation. And he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He immediately says, I don't identify with them. I identify with God. Where did that come from, friends? Was that a popular decision? Just like it's not a popular decision today. Why is baptism such a key thing in a person's life? Because I'm identifying publicly with Jesus Christ. And here this young man in a very heathen land, a godless land, was identifying with the Hebrews. Notice verse number 25. Moses chose the affliction of God's people over the pleasures of sin. 
well, that's not very logical. Stay in the palace, enjoy whatever I want to enjoy, or go out with them and be afflicted. Oh, I'll go out with them and be afflicted. That's pretty amazing. Do you know God had so gotten a hold of um, Moses' life at a young age that he made a choice that was against all the logic of that culture? Can you imagine the, the people down in the streets of Egypt saying, why in the world would you do that? Have you lost your mind? You weird person? You give up Pharaoh's palace for this? Yeah, it's, it's better. It's better. Sin's only pleasurable for a season. Look at verse 26. Moses chose the reproach of Christ over the acceptance of that culture. Again, it seems against all logic, but Moses legitimately chose to, and the Bible says, the reproach of Christ. The reproach of his Messiah. He didn't even yet know all the end of the story, but he chose this reproach. He, repro uh, he chose the shame. Do you know what Moses did? He legitimately denied himself. He took up his cross, and he followed Christ. This is the Old Testament illustration of that. That's what he did. And it wasn't easy, friends, and it isn't easy for you and I. Verse 27, Moses chose to forsake Egypt and focus on God. It literally says there that he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Again, his fear for God was greater than the, uh, the fear for the king. For he endured as him, as seeing him who was invisible. His relationship was God, with God so very real to him, though he could not see God, he lived in complete respect towards God. He didn't have a Bible like we had. He just had his relationship with God, what he knew of God, from his mom and from his own personal experience. But it was so real to him, even though it was invisible, he saw it. That's amazing to me. Verse 28 and 29, Moses chose to trust God's salvation in the midst of incredible opposition. Passover. Oh, are we going to finally get out of here? God's saying, put the blood on the, the, the doorpost of the door so the death angel, and when he comes through, he, he would see it and he'll pass over us. Well, I guess that's what we must do. And by faith, we're going to do it. It might seem odd to everyone else in Egypt, but we're going to do this. Israel, this is what we must do. This is the instruction from God. I believe God above all things. I believe God will come through for us. So let's do it. They did it, and they, they celebrated the Passover, looking forward to Jesus Christ, who would one day be our Passover lamb. They get out of Egypt, they get there to the Red Sea, they are at the Red Sea, and they are being led by the pillar of cloud, and here come the Egyptians, they're going to annihilate them, so they think. And he is again up against incredible odds, and he believes God, and God comes through and splits the Red Sea wide open. And many people try to deny the fact, oh, they found, a, you know, it was a dry time of year, and so uh, they were able just to you know, go across. No, they went across on dry land, and God did that. Why? Because Moses repeatedly took steps of faith to honor God. We do not have the Red Sea without Moses saying, I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We don't have it. Yet we're back here on a lot of things. We want to identify with the world. Our families want to identify with the world. Dads, it will be a constant pressure for your family to identify with the world. Why? Because they see it. And you've been placed in your homes to stand up and say, by God's grace, we will not be identified with the world. We're not going that direction. We won't look like that. We won't talk like that. We won't prioritize like them. We will be different. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have no qualms. People often ask me, how do your kids get socialized? They ask me that. I mean, I hear that all the time. Because especially when they hear that they're homeschooled, they, they always ask me about, how do your kids get socialized? Church. It does not bother me in the slightest when my, my, my daughter rides in here in the back of the car and at two years old she goes, we're home! It doesn't bother me in the slightest. It doesn't bother me that my kids have been here past midnight many times serving the Lord. It does not bother me at all. It does not bother me that they fall asleep because they're so tired working here in the ministry. I, it doesn't bother me. Why? Because our home is not oriented around the things of this world. The world can tell us 101 things that are really exciting to do, but I'll tell you, nothing blesses my heart more 
than to see my kids begin to get a heart for the ministry. When my son walks into my office this past week and says, Dad, can I have a few numbers? I know there's some kids that have not shown up to adventure camp. Can I call them? That's not because I'm, I'm great. That's because he has a God that he's found a, a connection with and he begins to realize there's a spiritual battle going on here. There's some kids that need to be here and hearing this, and so I'm going to give them a call and overheard as, as those calls went out. Friends, it makes a difference to orient our lives around the things of God. And Satan is going to constantly going after you as dads to say, no, 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 we're too tired right now. We can't do this right now. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't know I'm going to pay that bill. Seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. I've lived that by faith. I know what it is to say that. I'm not saying that because, oh, you know, I've never had a bill that I couldn't pay. Friends, I've had bills I couldn't pay. And I've also seen God come through as I put him first and said, uh, God, you put this in the Bible, Matthew 6, I'm going to seek the, um, you first and you'll take care of this. Just, just a couple weeks ago, I had a man that used to be a member of the church call me up and say, I want to just ask you, how are you doing? And he says, I'm going to send you a little gift. It wasn't a little gift. It was, it was encouraging. It was helpful. But he doesn't know that day, that day I actually asked God. I said, God, I need you to take care of this. I need you to take care of this. You know, I didn't have to stop doing what God wants me to do in order to get that taken care of. God took care of it for me. And you say, well, that just happens to you because you're a preacher. No, it happens to all those who put faith in Jesus Christ and follow him regardless of what's going on in our culture. Dad, some of you have really key, strong, uh, difficult decisions out ahead of you. And I don't care if you have three-year-olds in the home or your, your kids are out of the home. Some of you have difficult decisions about the priorities that you're setting in your family, for your wife. Friends, can I encourage you? Take the step that is faithful towards God. And he will come through. He promised. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I looked this up. Moses has mentioned, I'm going to ask you because I'm curious. How many times do you think Moses has mentioned in the Bible? Go ahead. What? 250? 1,000? Anyone else? 12? A little bit more than that. 848 times. That's more times than the Bible tells you and me to fear not. That's a lot of times. Do you know what I believe? There's a verse, a couple verse, a verse in Hebrews 11 and some verses in Exodus 1 and 2 that are devoted to his parents. But there's some parents who made a choice to, by faith, follow after God. And they had no idea in the world that God was going to use Moses how he did. You do not know the fallout. It doesn't have to be directly related to children. You do not know the impact of your faithful decisions this week. So when the world's telling you to do one thing, when it's like, Okay, I, I have God and I have this, and this is pulling me from God. Always choose God. But if I don't, I won't have a job. Always choose God. It is better to put your trust in God than to put your trust in chariots or men or in the arm of your own flesh. And friends, I know for a fact that our church has struggles right in that area and I'm asking you to heed the word of God and say, by faith, we go forward. By faith, we serve. By faith, we follow. Do you know what? God has given every one of, of these homes a, a, a dad who is to lead by faith, right? And wives, can I encourage you, even today, say, honey, what is on your heart? What is God doing in your heart that, that we need what direction is he putting on your heart that I need to help follow in, help lead the children in, and be that type of help towards your, towards your husband. Help him lead. Help him lead. 
But you know what? The Bible says within the church that God has gifted, given a pastor to the church. And you know what? The Bible says whose faith follow. Everywhere we go, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, in our, in our general lives, we have to be marked by decisions of faith. Anytime that you and I divert to the flesh, we get in trouble. Every single time, and we make a, a mess, and the flesh will always, always bring destruction. And so my, my urge to you is, let's make a commitment to God this morning. God, I will live by faith. That decision, and it's probably very practical, whatever's right out in front of you, God, this decision, I need you to show me what to do, and I will do it in faith towards you. I will do it in faith towards you. Maybe you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior this morning. You need to accept him by faith. Well, that's the first step of faith. For many of us, it's probably something along the lines, this is in front of me, and I'm being torn this way, but I know God wants me to go this way. This is what honors his word. Today, I'm making the decision by faith. I'm, I'm stepping towards God's plan, God's word. I'm going to do, do right by God. Faithful decisions. Let's ask God to help us with that, and I want to have an invitation time before we leave here this morning. I'm going to say this morning, Pastor, I do know for certain that Jesus Christ is my foundation. I have... I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. I do know that when I die, I will spend eternity in heaven, not because of me, but because he's forgiven me of all my sins. I know that for certain this morning. I've, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for me and atoning for all of my sins. And I know that for certain. I can say that as a testimony this morning. Can I see your hands? I know I'm saved. I know my sins are forgiven. Amen. Amen. Is any here that would say, Pastor, I don't know that? And that, you're right, it needs to be my first step of faith today. I'm going to, I'm going to receive Jesus Christ today. I, I do need Jesus Christ. And that's my testimony this morning. That's, that's my acknowledgement this morning. No one looking around, but is there anyone like that today? I need to take that step of faith to believe on Jesus Christ. Would you just put your hand up and put it back down? I need to believe on Jesus Christ. Just give one more moment. I want you to say, Pastor, God specifically dealt with me about this matter of living by faith in my family and also just in life in general. But he specifically, he's dealing with me in a specific way. I'm not just trying to get a bunch of hands. Friends, I, I want to know, is God working in your life in a specific way? He's convicted your heart this morning. You say, I've not been living like, by faith, but I want the testimony of Moses' parents, and I want the testimony of Moses. And you say, that's, that's my testimony. He's specifically working this morning. Could I see your hand? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? How many of you dads today on this, on this Father's Day would say, Pastor, my heart is, my heart is, I want that for my family. I may not be there yet, but that's my heart. That's my desire. That's my prayer. And I, I need prayer about that. Would you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen. Remember, guys, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. More than you need other people's opinions, you need to get alone with God. He will fill your faith. He will give you the strength you need to go forward. I'm going to ask us to stand, and I'm going to give opportunity for us to find a place here at this altar. And I do encourage men and everyone to come and pray this morning. Father, would you bless this invitation time? Lord, I pray that you would get most of our, our hearts in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.